0: Thank you, Patricia. And in case you were wondering, um, there was a difference between what was read and what was on the screen. Patricia was right. That was the correct reading, so well done. Um, The problem is with nice weekends, you feel obliged to go out and do the garden, don't you? And That's a lesson I need to learn, never do the gardening, because I've really wrecked my right shoulder. Uh, Never mind. What a beautiful day. Good morning. What a beautiful day to be preaching about a flood! Fantastic, and yet in so ways meant, quite apt, I think, in terms of um, how the world was then and how unexpected the flood was at the time. So watch out, probably. How many of you uh, have experienced that moment when you're um, when you're writing a letter? And I'm looking around now just to make sure that we got—is there anybody here who doesn't understand the concept of a letter? There's a few, sometimes a few young people that. Now, it's an old form of communication. Anyway, we used to use a, a pen. Um, I won't explain a pen. So you're writing a letter or an email or I don't know what it is. It might be a piece of coursework or the chapter of that book you've been dying to write. And you get halfway down that first page. And you go, nah. Nah, you know what? This, this just isn't working. And you basically screw up the page and start again. More likely these days on your computer you would hit the delete key and decide to start again. Because the story of Noah and this great flood, I mean it's right near the beginning of the Bible, isn't it? We're only in Genesis chapter 6 and yet here we find God hitting the delete button on a world that he has not long since created. Remember that very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God here is almost literally unmaking what he has made by returning the earth to the deep and starting again. Now there's a lot of different ways you can read the story of Noah. It covers four full chapters in Genesis. Uh, We get a lot of detail, about 40 days and 40 nights of rain, the big ark, animals going in two by two, ravens and doves flying in and out looking for dry land. It's a fantastic story. And uh, it's a story we've used many times, I think, in the pet service uh, over the years uh, to talk about God's care and love for his creation and animals. But that's not for today. Because I think, fundamentally, the story of Noah is actually about God, about who he is, his character. The story of God the judge and God the loving father and how he is both of those things at the same time. And for all the fun that we can have discussing the, uh, the living arrangements on a boat full of animals, we cannot ignore, forgive the pun, the elephant in the room. Or perhaps in this context, two elephants in the room. The story describes how, apart from one family and a menagerie of creatures, God wipes out all life on earth. Delete. How did it get to this point? Well, the answer lies right at the beginning of today's reading, and uh, you'll see it on the screen. I'm also going to... This is taken from the message version, which is, uh, for those who don't know, is a kind of a paraphrase version of the Bible that brings it right down into sort of everyday language and it says this in the message as far as God was concerned the earth had become a sewer there was violence everywhere God took one look and saw how bad it was everyone corrupt and corrupting life itself corrupt to the core and God said to Noah it's all over it's the end of the human race the violence is everywhere I'm Making a clean sweep. If you don't find that shocking, maybe you should. But we're so used to thinking about God as the loving Father, which he is, that God the judge seems a bit alien. Like some phase God was going through in the old days, but thankfully he's matured a bit since then. Since sending Jesus as Savior, he's kind of softened. The headline news is, God has not changed. God has not changed. God was and is holy. It's an integral part of who he is. To be holy means that he must be utterly separated from anything that is evil or wrong. And the holiness of God requires that he acts to eradicate evil and reinstate good. Think about it this way. His inclination is always to set things right. So, what God saw in Noah's day shredded the fabrics of justice on earth. People, relationships, all of creation was suffering. Injustice and evil had erupted with terrible and devastating results. And God cannot and will not ignore or excuse injustice. He hated it then, and he hates it now. And I think this brings us immediately to two points that we need to reflect on that spring from this truth. And the first one is this, God takes sin very seriously and there are consequences. Now as Christians we know that through Jesus we can be completely forgiven. Yes, emphatically yes, that is at the heart of the gospel. But that does not mean that we should treat sin lightly. As a holy God, he requires us to be holy too. And from a personal perspective, that means we should make every effort. And I use that phrase advisedly. It's a favorite expression if you ever read through the Peter's epistles, 1 and 2 Peter. You will see a lot of references. Make every effort to be in a right relationship with him and with those around us. Doing good, being active partners with the Holy Spirit in eliminating anything in our lives that would cause God to grieve. And of course seeking forgiveness when we get it wrong. But it is a serious business. And then of course it's not just looking inwards at ourselves, it's looking outwards at the world. What is our responsibility to society and to the world around us? Because holiness requires that God's creation reflects and expresses his nature and purposes. What does that mean? It's important that as God's people we are also active in pursuing justice where we see evil and wrongdoing. We have a responsibility as his followers to restore that godly shalom, that deep sense of peace and well-being that's at the heart of healthy relationships and healthy individuals. It's the kind of work that I know we've just heard from Jan uh, doing the notices, but the kind of work that, that Flame are out there doing frequently, going to parts of the world that have been ripped apart by war and brutality and bringing peace and healing into communities or closer to home the work of connect counseling in bringing together couples that are having challenges but you know what it's something that all of us need to be thinking about because it doesn't matter where we are in our own families neighborhoods or at work we can all ask ourselves how can I play a part in confronting injustice and wrongdoing and setting things right because that is God's holy purpose for his people So God the judge looks out at the earth and concludes that he needs to start again. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? Because somebody out there has caught his eye. Someone who has not joined in with the corruption around him. And that was Noah. Scripture tells us Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And when God gives him instructions to build the ark, Noah does what he's told. And can you just imagine the faith and the courage it must have required to build an ark on dry land when the weather was probably twice as hot as it is today out here? Noah was not perfect. But his life shows us the eternal truth that we are saved by God's grace through faith. And it's here that we find God the loving Father, this Other aspect of God we're looking at this morning. God the loving father who is looking for every reason to save his beloved creation. Noah is his chosen one. And through him and his family he will save mankind and give it another chance. And I love that God is in the detail. You heard it in the reading. He doesn't just say, hey Noah, I'm going to send a flood to destroy the earth. You're going to need a boat. No. No. He's thought through a detailed plan, the kind of wood to use, the exact dimensions, the number of decks, where the door should go. Not to mention a fairly lengthy set of instructions about the right numbers and combinations of the animals and birds to have on board. And then he makes sure that Noah and his entourage are safely shut in the ark just as the rains begin. And then deeper into the story, when Noah and his family, the only ones left alive, were told that God remembered them and sent a drying wind so the floodwaters would recede, and then finally invites everyone off the ark to repopulate the earth. And we're learning very early in the Bible here, in these early interactions, that this is a God who takes meticulous care of his people, that his love translates to involvement, interest, passion for us, and his creation. But I can't leave this section of the story without saying something about the casualties in this story. Could the rest of the world, could the other people not have been given a chance, a second chance, a warning? Was it fair to simply wash them away? Well, there's an interesting reference to the people of those times in the book of 1 Peter. And it says this, After being made alive... Christ went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And the message here seems to be that those who lived in Noah's time did have the opportunity to see what was going on to understand the implications of the project that Noah was working on, what was coming, and to seek their own salvation. But they didn't. And that should sound familiar to us today, shouldn't it? Because people today have to make that choice about Jesus. Because we believe there will be a final reckoning, a final judgment when Jesus comes again. And in describing those future times to his disciples, we actually find Jesus making a direct reference to, to Noah and the times of Noah in the gospel. This is taken from Matthew 24. And it says this, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. one will be taken and the other left. I think this is one of the most sobering passages and certainly one of the most sobering statements that Jesus himself makes in all of Scripture. And it should come as a challenge to us here as a church and as individuals because to paraphrase another bit of scripture out of Romans, how are people going to call on the one they've never believed in? And how are they going to believe in Jesus if they never heard of him? And how are they going to hear unless someone speaks to them about him? And I think that's why you know we, we've done a series like Contagious Christianity and we continue to focus on the need to draw people into our community to hear the gospel message, because that is the only way of salvation. When the floodwaters have receded, Noah is back on dry land and God makes a covenant, a promise. A promise to Noah and a promise to Noah's family and it's by extension to all mankind, to all living creatures. He says, never again will a flood destroy the earth. And it's, it's the first promise that we find in Scripture. And it neatly foreshadows what is to come because if God is promising... If God is promising never to destroy the earth again, does that mean that from then on he's going to become more tolerant of the evil and injustice that would surely and inevitably reoccur? Is he going to ignore what is going to happen? Well, we've already said that's impossible for God to do. It goes against his nature as judge. So there had to be another solution. And the solution was and is Jesus Christ. Because what God, what God was really saying was, next time. No, next time I will not destroy the earth. Next time I will come to the earth and take that destruction upon myself. You see, in the story of Noah, the instrument of salvation was the ark. But the ark saved only one man and his family. And many died. In God's ultimate plan, the instrument of salvation was the cross, where one man died so that many would be saved. But the God we get to know in the story of Noah, the God we're learning about in those early chapters of Genesis, is the same God that sent his son to die. He's still the God of details. The God who lovingly mapped out the plan to save Noah took that same care and attention to new limits, when he unveiled his eternal salvation plan, because Jesus didn't just come to die and rise again. He came to live and die and rise again. And God said, this time I will immerse myself in my creation. And Jesus came and he subjected himself to poverty, danger, opposition, resistance. Think of that. God so loved the world that he came to earth and argued and debated with his creation made himself vulnerable to the very worst side of humanity, got right close and personal, taught and demonstrated and modeled the kingdom of God. Let me show you how things should be, he was saying. You rich man, you know, I love what you're doing, but if you can just stop relying on your wealth, you'll find an even better way. Hey, you fishermen, let's see if you can use your skills to catch people. Hey, tax man, let's have a chat about generosity and honesty. Hey, adulterous woman, you know this is not the way, but you deserve another chance. This is God mentoring the human race, laying down a blueprint for life, then submitting to a terrible death so that we can get access to that life. And that blueprint has been laid down for us to follow. We are now the ones tasked with modeling the kingdom to others. I just referenced what Tom mentioned in the notices about this mentoring program here at church, so that those who have been Christians a long time We can share our experience and our uh, wisdom, hopefully, and certainly insights into life with those who have not been traveling the road for quite so long. Have you volunteered yet? Here's a chance to have a real impact on someone's life. And I guarantee, I absolutely guarantee you have more to offer than you think you do. So it is at the cross where we see this ultimate union of love and justice. There, both God's hatred for sin and his care for the world come together. They meet and agree, if you will. In suffering for us, Jesus holds together God's justice and God's love for us and they form a cross, the cross of Jesus. And at the cross, the cross truly and fully executes God's absolute holy judgment on sin, but at the same time, God's saving love. I said at the beginning of this sermon that the story of Noah is really a story about God, but I just want to end by thinking about Noah and how we can relate to him. We're told that when God looked at Noah, he saw a righteous person who walked faithfully with God. And thanks to God's saving grace through our faith in Christ, that's exactly how God looks at us. It's how he looks at you. He looks at you and sees a righteous person. When we give our lives to Christ, God hits the delete button on everything that we've done wrong and allows us to start all over again. Just as he swept away the old world in Noah's time through the waters of the flood. And you can see the parallel here with baptism. Washing away the sin and emerging back out to holiness and new life. That's us. That's us, his followers. You may not feel righteous, but you are. And that should be a source of encouragement. But it's also, of course, a responsibility. A responsibility to be like Noah, his ambassadors in this world. If we're going to take sin within our own lives seriously, if we're going to confront injustice where we find it, if we're going to model the kingdom of God to those in and outside the church, then we will be noticed. We are going to be different. We will think and speak and act differently to the crowd. And that takes courage. And I think if we look at Noah's, in my view, Noah's defining characteristic, it's courage. Courage to obey God when it seemed everyone else in the world around him was just bent on evil and corruption. Courage to take on a building project that risks making him look foolish and ridiculous in his community. The courage to stand up and be counted for God. What's the alternative? Well, I want to just end by uh, reading this for you. This is from uh, Christian writer Lee Strobel. Tour bus Christians drive comfortably through life as they gaze out of the window at others who are elbow deep in the daily adventure of serving God and working among spiritually needy people. Tour bus Christians are insulated from the real world activity and excitement of God's work. They may avoid some of the pain that's involved and they may protect themselves from life's difficulties and struggles, but there's no real adventure on a tour bus. The adventure starts when you tell the bus to stop and you jump off into the fray. I don't think any of us want to be tour bus Christians. We'll want to stand up and be counted. So I'm going to ask us, just to finish here, I'm going to finish with a prayer, but I would just like to ask you to stand. Let's stand up, because we're standing up to be counted. If you are willing and able to stand, please do. And I'm going to say a prayer now, that you can take on board for yourself. If this is something that you feel in your heart, then pray it for yourself. Lord, use me to make a difference. Use me to impact a young person for you. Use me to soothe someone's pain. Lord, use me to right wrongs and confront injustice. Use me to feed someone who's hungry. Use me to bring someone to you. Use me to deepen someone's faith. Use me to show the world your kingdom. Use me to change lives in your name. Lord, I don't just want to observe cathedrals through the windows of a bus. I want you to use me to build a living cathedral dedicated to your glory. Amen. Please sit down.